This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Are you creative? That's a rhetorical question, because of course you are. A creative is anyone who makes something from nothing. Creativity is everywhere and in everyone. And that means you. So what's been stopping your inner creative from bursting out? Probably fear. Fear is part of creating something. It's a real bee. But don't worry, we'll help you get through that. This podcast will be your guide to claim your creativity, redefine your relationship with fear, and build a new life centered around creative expression. You're going to learn tools from people who have found ways to manage life's ups and downs by turning their experience into purpose. Think of this podcast as your very own creative community. This is Unleash Your Inner Creative with Lauren LaGrasso. Hello, it's me here with another creative check-in. And before we get going, I just want to ask you, if you like the show, it would mean so much to me if you could give it a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It makes a huge difference. It really helps us reach a bigger creative audience. So if you haven't done that yet, it would mean so much to me. And if you do it, be sure to take a screen grab and send it to me so I can feature it on our Instagram page. And my creative check-in this week is that sometimes you just need a mirror to do your best work. And this idea came to me from this weekend. I'm working on my album. It has been a long process. And at some point, I will talk all about it. It's been almost four years I've been working on this. And it has been a labor of love, but it's finally, finally coming together. And this past weekend, I had the best studio session of my life. And it's largely due to the fact that I finally sprung for a vocal producer, which is somebody who comes in and is really only there to help you achieve your best possible vocal. They're not focused on any of the other aspects, the actual physical recording, the way the drums are blending with the guitars, nothing like that. They're just focused on your voice and they really act as a mirror for you. And so I had this incredible woman named Wendy Wagner And she helped me in the studio and she heard things that I couldn't hear myself because I was just too close to it. And so I listened back to the track, the one that she had coached me on, and it was the best I have ever, ever sounded in my entire life. And nothing was different except for the fact that I had a loving and constructive mirror there to help me do my best. So the takeaway for you is get somebody who sees the good in you, who sees your talent, but can also point out the subtle ways that your talent can be taken to the next level. So whether it's someone editing your vocals, your ideas, your writing presentation style, work with people who just want to help you become more you and become more in the style of whatever you're trying to create. So whatever you're working on, I highly recommend you find a coach, a mentor, a friend, or a family member who can give you helpful, encouraging, and constructive advice in order to fully embody your creative potential, aka a mirror. 
You just need somebody who can help you see accurately and get to the next level to bring your work up to its full potential. Because we can't, as much as I've said, let's try to see from above, we can't always see from above. Sometimes we need an outside force. So get someone who sees your highest good and helps you see or hear it too. Okay, now to the creative of the week. Today's creative of the week is artist, photographer, and community member, Alwyn, aka Al. Al is currently in school for graphic design and loves drawing with henna, but when she was in a deep depression, she couldn't bring herself to draw. It was during that time that she shifted her focus to photography. She said she had to force herself into it, and that now she's so glad she did, because photography and what it's brought out in her makes her feel more alive than ever. I love the way she captures colors and the small details of an image because those small details and moments are really what life is all about. It's also proof of creativity's ability to heal and how every pain in life has a potential to bring about a positive change and to bring about something in yourself that you never knew you were capable of. For more information on Al, follow her at ALMT exposure on Instagram. That's A-L-M-T exposure on Instagram. Okay, now to our guest. Today's guest is Sarah Wilson. She's a social media expert, writer, and storyteller, best known for her work at Instagram, the Huffington Post, and her new business, SW Projects. Growing up in Canada, Sarah had dreams of moving to New York City and becoming a fancy magazine editor. However, the universe had different plans for her and chose to expand her and her talents in a way she never could have foreseen, because a lot of things she did didn't exist when she was a kid. (laughs) I find that if I cling too hard to these specific ideas of what my life is going to look like, it it doesn't work. I mean, not only don't I get there, but I, I feel like that sort of, I need this so badly, this sort of tight hanging on is not actually what gets me there. It's kind of a acceptance of this may or may not come to me. I'm going to try very hard for this. I'm going to put myself in the way of this and try to attract this. But ultimately, it's kind of going to be up to whatever you call it, you know, the universe or whatever, um, to get me there or not. And if I get knocked in a different course, then okay, I'm going to figure that out. After working as a writer and producer for many years in Canada, she finally set sails for Los Angeles, landing a gig at Los Angeles Magazine, and later running the divorce section of the Huffington Post, working directly with Nora Ephron and Ariana Huffington, two legends. However, her creativity might have been stretched the most in her five years at Facebook and Instagram, where she ran lifestyle partnerships. During this time, she developed relationships with many of the most influential people and brands in the world, including Vogue. That's right. She was the mastermind behind Anna Wintour's first ever Instagram post. Sarah is largely responsible for the way fashion is consumed on Instagram today. She's a powerhouse. I'm glad to say that Sarah took a beautiful creative risk and made the decision to take her social media and storytelling skills to her own venture, SW Projects. With her company, she works on digital content for the likes of Bumble, WeWork, The New York Times, Bustle, and many others. I first met Sarah when she was doing an interview on Girlboss Radio. I wanted to have her on the show because she is real-life sunshine and has such a strong handle on how to use powerful storytelling to advance your brand and creativity. 
From our conversation, you'll learn tips to overcome the Instagram algorithm, grow your following, how to invent your dream job, the best lesson she ever learned from Nora Ephron, and why it's important to set aside time to get inspired. Now here she is, Sarah Wilson. So Sarah, hi. hi. Hello. Th- thank you for having me to your home. Oh my gosh, I'm so happy you could make it. This is great. <laughs> um, it's beautiful in here. We're Thanks. in a, would you call this a loft? Yeah, it's a downtown LA loft. A downtown LA loft, living that city lifestyle. I know, lifestyle. I like sought out the city. I know, I was going to ask you yes, about that. Yes, it had everything to do with creativity actually. Really? Yes. Tell me more. I was feeling like LA was dulling my senses. I loved parts of the city. But there was something about the neighborhood I was living in, um, which was Koreatown. Now, in and of itself, it's not, you know, a dead neighborhood. There's a ton going on. But for whatever reason, the fact that I wasn't able to walk out my door every single day and feel street life was making me feel super tapped out. Um, And I felt like I needed a big change. And so I was actually considering moving to New York. Well, I was going to ask you about that because that was something, you know, I met you through Girl Boss Radio, yeah. through producing the show. Yeah. And there's something you talked about on there that I thought was so interesting, which was that you always had this dream to move to New York. I wanted to move to New York and be a magazine editor. And that was really sort of my singular goal for like the first half of my life. Now, but you never got to fully move to New York. You did go there when you were working at Facebook and you, mm-hmm, you did mm-hmm. lots of, you know, go-sees, right. I would say, almost right. like with the fashion brands to try to get them to be on Instagram and you succeeded. Right. But what do you think the purpose is of those dreams that we hold so dear and that we want so badly, but that just don't ever fully come true? Well, first of all, I think there's lots of ways to accomplish a dream and you can have a vision, but it's it's probably going to get blown up in some regard. Then that, that doesn't mean that it's 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 you've been a failure. So in my case, and I can only really speak to myself, right. I had this dream to go to New York because I connected so deeply with the city and because the opportunities that I wanted were there. So I, you know, there really was this thriving magazine industry at the time that just seemed like, well, I can really do this nowhere else but there. And so it was sort of odd that I ended up in LA and I really ended up in LA because this job opportunity presented itself at Los Angeles Magazine, which was then kind of a thriving thing. And the magazine industry was still going in 2007. And I kind of looked at the opportunity was like, okay, well, I can use this as a jumping off point to actually get to New York. And that'll be sort of my way in, you know, being from Canada, it was was really challenging to get to the States. And I got to LA and I realized not only did I really love the city, but that, oh, actually, like I can do what I want to do here. And by the time I sort of picked my head up, I realized that, oh gosh, the magazine industry has totally changed. And even if I were to go to New York, the industry as I knew it would not exist anymore. So I really had to come up with a different dream. Right. I think it's so important to be flexible and reinvent yourself. And like you said, don't view it as a failure. Reshape your vision and realize what the reality is. Because sometimes those dreams we have are really rooted in our childhood and like our misconceptions of what life is. And it's not that. And by choosing a different path, you're actually taking care of yourself. Absolutely. I mean, that has just been proven out over and over again, at least in my life. I mean, I I find that if I cling too hard to these specific ideas of what my life is going to look like, it it doesn't work. I mean, not only don't I get there, but I I feel like that sort of, I need this so badly, this sort of tight hanging on is not actually what gets me there. It's kind of a acceptance of this 
may or may not come to me. I'm going to try very hard for this. I'm going to put myself in the way of this and try to attract this. But ultimately, it's kind of going to be up to whatever you call it, you know, the universe or whatever um, to get me there or not. And if I get knocked in a different course, then okay, I'm going to figure that out. It's interesting because it's one thing to psychologically know that. Like you can yeah. mentally know, okay, I shouldn't clutch my fate. I shouldn't con- try to control my life. But to actually enact it is a, a different thing. So how did you learn that lesson? Oh my gosh. It was so hard to learn. First yeah. of all, yes, you're Do right. Do you still it- find yourself going into it ever? Absolutely. I find like if I if I don't take care of myself for long periods of time, if I, you know, I, I'm, when I meditate consistently, I, I'm pretty good at staying out of that, oh, I must have it. So I have to sort of practice that I'm not going to cling so hard to this. But when I get out of that, yes, absolutely. I think there was a point where I was working at Los Angeles Magazine and there was a job that came up at a trend forecasting agency. And I just thought for whatever reason, that was my ticket. That was going to be my ticket. I'm going to go into, I'm going to be a trend forecaster. I'm, you know. Well, you I, are kind of. I basically, that's what I do now. <laughs> but like, it took me a bit of a route to get there. But I, you know, I saw that. I really wanted, I put together, you know, a whole presentation to get the job. And then ultimately I didn't get the job and I just was so crestfallen. And I, and I just thought, oh my gosh, how, how am I ever going to transition out of this? And, you know, at the time I could see the writing on the wall with magazines and I knew that it was time to make a move. How on earth am I going to, you know, move on? And I thought that this was a great opportunity and it turned out it wasn't the opportunity for me. Um, And obviously I learned a lesson in that moment that, you know, that didn't come along until a year later when I got the job at, at the Huffington Post, which was just for me a way better, more appropriate opportunity that I think took me down a path that I'm so lucky to have been on. So you have reinvented yourself so many times. It's very yeah. impressive. And you've basically created positions totally. that formerly didn't exist. How did that happen? Also, how can we all be more like you? <laughs> okay, first of all, thank you. That's yes. very flattering. Well, um, I mean, you're I, honestly like I really admire that because it's so hard. Yeah. To get anyone to see you other than the one thing you've right. been or the two things you've been. But you've done it so many times. Like, how did you show people like, yeah, bitch, I can do this too. <laughs> well, first of all, you just have to go start doing it. Yeah. I mean, no one's going to believe you if you don't just start doing it. Like, there's so many things that I've I've experimented on. I was actually thinking about this the other day. I have so many like files in my, you know, fi- like the X-Files. just like little creative projects that I've started and, and maybe some of them have continued and maybe some of them have gone nowhere, but I've started them and some of them have become jobs and some of them have become, you know, massive projects and some of them have taken on partners and become lucrative and some of them have gone nowhere and that's okay. And I've started some of them within the context of larger jobs that I've been, you know, fully employed at. I've started some as, as side hustles. So it really just depends. It's always been a common denominator of curiosity. So like how, I said that really weird. Curiosity. It It was very proper. (laughs) Suddenly you were from England. (laughs) Curiosity. Okay. Curiosity. (laughs) But like how, how I sort of, I followed this, this thread of curiosity and into these new areas. And I have a bunch going right now. I have a full-time thing and yet I have 
a few things I juggle on on the side that are really just like, oh, hey, wonder if this could be something. And constantly pursuing that has really what's kept me being able to reinvent myself because it puts you in kind of a constant mindset of openness to opportunity, answering questions, and being a little bit out of your depth. And I think that's what's key to being able to reinvent yourself. When you were at those other jobs where, let's say, when you were working in journalism, Mm -hmm. did you tell people like, hey, I'm interested in doing social media too? I don't know if that was really a job at that time. It wasn't a thing. Yeah. I mean, it it was just starting to become a thing um, when I went to HuffPost, which was Mm -hmm. in 2010. Obviously, you know, Facebook already existed, but it wasn't it wasn't a thing for, you know, build your brand, mm-hmm. either your personal brand or your actual brand online uh, yet. It just wasn't. People had, remember what people had websites? Like, yeah. that was a thing. Blogging was a thing. HTTPS. HTTPS colon slash slash. Remember on the radio? You would like. It's like, you guys, we get it. You don't have to say the whole thing. I remember that. I want people to go back to that, though, just like for nostalgia's sake. Sometimes people do. I hate to say it, but it's always people who are like 45 or older I know they read the whole thing out you know what I respect it though I respect it like back to basics you need the https um colon slash slash that Um, should be a shirt oh my gosh yes okay I'm doing it see that's that's like a side gig right you like sell like 500 of those (laughs) so just to give your listeners like a Mm -hmm. quick overview I was at you know Los Angeles magazine that's what brought me to LA I'm from Toronto originally I had moved here um, thinking I was gonna make a career in magazines and you know the bottom fell out of the magazine industry and I pivoted and went to Huffington Post I mean, the thing is, though, that role wasn't something I ever was like, I would like to go to the Huffington Post and start a section that is uh, the brainchild of Nora Ephron. And, you know, from there, I would like to go to Facebook. The whole thing unraveled in a very, very sort of, I guess, circuitous way. Like it just sort of, it happened, but I also put myself in the path of of allowing it to happen. So I heard about an opportunity. I pursued it. I was curious. I put together applications. I, you know, I hemmed and hawed, but ultimately in the case of HuffPost, the reason I ended up there is because of Nora Ephron, who was at the time, who is, you know, such a uh, you know, an idol was a mentor to me and became mm. an incredible inspiration. And in fact, she came up with this idea about how women reinvent themselves and called it breakover. She called it the breakover. What does that mean? So she came up with this idea. It was actually, it was really funny. We were sitting in her apartment. And, that, okay, just casually. Okay, just like casual. <laughs> and I, so just to give you context, she came up with the idea for Huffington Post divorce. Right. She came up with it with Ariana Huffington one day. So they hired me to run it. And that was um, in 2010. I, you know, subsequently became, I don't want to say, are we friends? She was a mentor to me. Yeah. She really became- With those kind of relationships, I feel like it's rarely that you're friends, like you're friend tours. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) She was incredibly positive and nurturing. She was the editor at large of the section. I would get these emails from her that were like, you're amazing, you're perfect, but just change this one thing. Like it was the sweetest relationship. What a great lesson in leadership. It was incredible. Like I felt so uh, taken care of and seen by her. And uh, and it's funny because after she passed away, there were many, many many people, mostly women, who kind of came out of the woodwork and and offered up these kind of 
beautiful odes to her as having done that for them as well. I remember the one that particularly is memorable is Lena Dunham wrote one for The New Yorker about her and how instrumental Nora had been in her life. So I would say the same for me. So, you know, we were sitting in her living room and we were talking about the section and she sort of threw out this name that had been, I guess she'd been toying with. I can't remember if it was a result of a conversation we had, but It was this idea that women are particularly great at reinventing themselves over their lifetimes, whether it's, you know, after the death of a spouse, after divorce, after losing a job, after having a kid, after not having a kid, whatever. And that there's these different phases. And not to say men can't do it too, but women are kind of really, really good at it. We have to be. Yeah, we have to be. And, uh... And she immediately bought the URL for Breakover, like literally on the spot. Don't ask me if like she still owned, you know, owned it or like how that's working now. But we actually did take a shot at producing a series called Breakover. It never went anywhere. But I was so, so proud to, to be able to work with her on that. From all these amazing creative powerhouses, because you've also worked with some incredible brands. What has been your top takeaway of what makes a successful creative? So... From a brand point of view, I think of a brand and a person as very similar, actually, right. especially now. The way that we interact with brands is very, very similar, if not exactly the same as how we interact with people. I have a personal relationship with third love bras on my feed, <laughs> just to pick one because they clearly target me all the time, as I do with an influencer, as I do with my friend. So it's there's really not a whole lot of difference, which is why I think that brands who have learned to speak the language of a friend are particularly successful and are doing really, really well. So we throw around the word authenticity a lot. That's something that like marketers say, oh, are you authentic or authentic? But authenticity is important, but it also is like really living your mm-hmm. your values. So like when push comes to shove, are you the brand that's actually standing up for the values that you're espousing in your marketing? If that's the case, you're going to have fans for life. You're going to have consumers who are like long, long term, you know, people who are your people. If you're, you know, simply uh, jumping on a bandwagon and mm-hmm. and using the language of a particular movement or moment, hashtag girl boss, you know, not that, <laughs> not, you know, sort of appropriating a lot of this stuff. We see that, especially in women's marketing. Um, I do think people are just smelling bullshit more and more and are mm-hmm. really going to be on board with that. So authenticity, I would see as a huge thing. I would say personality, having a clear point of view, I think everybody wants to be a lifestyle brand nowadays. I think there's a lot of confusion about what a lifestyle brand really is. What is it? Well, it's a lot of things. <laughs> I'll tell you what it's not. Okay, okay great, great. That's easier <laughs> yeah, probably. It's not a font, right? Like we think Calibri. of Calibri. Right? Like it's it's not just like, oh, it's like it's like sort of it's not that one font you see on all like the direct-to-consumer uh, brands that, you know, you can sign up for. It's it that all look a lo- lot the same. Um, it's not just about millennials. Like, mm-hmm. it's not just about millennials. Um, lifestyle brands are for, for all different age groups and yeah. moments in life. Um, I would say, what is it for? I think a lifestyle brand is all about, you know, putting yourself inside a phase of somebody's life. Mm. So aligning with their values. And when you align with somebody's values, like those values are very specific to some extent, and you can't necessarily be all things to all people. So if you're trying to 
put a stake in the ground and be, you know, create a brand that's his lifestyle brand, I think it's okay to be extreme. Like, I think it's okay to say, here's what we stand for and here's what we don't stand for. So, okay, I want to hear a little bit about your trek to Facebook. I know you were... Your trek to Facebook. (laughs) Did you actually move to San Francisco? Hell no. Get I out stayed of in LA. <laughs> we don't need you. So I'm when I, you know, was offered the job at Facebook, I luckily was offered, do you want to live in New York? Do you want to live in LA or do you want to be in San Francisco? And so I decided to stay in LA. Oh, that's great. So you didn't even have to negotiate for that or anything. I didn't. I didn't. And and that's only because of the nature of the work I was doing. I was running lifestyle partnerships and so it made a lot more sense for me to be in Los Angeles. So specifically for that one, how did you because that job mm-hmm. didn't exist before? Yes. How did you figure out how to do that job? I made, I fully made it up. You fully made it up. Yeah, I fully made it up. So the way I got to Facebook is because of a friend of mine named Libby Leffler, who is wonderful (laughs) and the ultimate connector. She works at SoFi. Anyway, so she is sort of a legend at Facebook and, and had worked for Sheryl Sandberg and, um, was then going on to start kind of a nascent partnerships team. I think it was like her and a couple other people. She was working with nonprofits, but they were expanding the team. And so I actually contacted her about a job I saw at Airbnb, which was up in San Francisco. And I was just curious about it. It was a head of storytelling position. And I was like, this is such a crazy ass name. (laughs) Like, it's just such a typical Silicon Valley, like job description that I wanted to know about it. So I asked her about it and she, she didn't know anything about it, but she said, look, we're hiring. So you should talk to, you know, Facebook. And like an hour later, I was on the phone with her boss and a week later, I was up there doing one of the patented intense Facebook interview loops uh, with eight people in a room for, you know, seven hours. And honestly, just a true, I mean, talk about not clinging too closely to this is my dream. Going in with a approach of, you know what, I'm here to learn. I'm here to ask questions. I don't know if I want to work for Facebook. Like I didn't go up there going, I want this job. I went up there with a genuine interest and having done my research, but I don't know. This is like a date. We're going to find out about each other. Do you like me? Do I like you? And I do think that that kind of approach to any kind of job is just going to stand you in better stead. I was going to say, do you feel like that helped you? Because I think sometimes we've talked about it a couple of times now, but when you want something so badly, you actually push it away. (laughs) Absolutely. I do think it's like anything like dating, you know, like you need something so, so badly. I I completely agree. So you were there for five years and you really were responsible for bringing fashion to Instagram Which the way it is now. Which was crazy because it's definitely not my background. Like I was never obsessed with fashion growing up. I definitely love, you know, that world. I would like read magazines obsessively, but I was not like a fashion person, so to speak. These people do exist and they're wonderful. And like, that wasn't me. I saw it more as an opportunity that existed in terms of carving my own path and where that aligned with where the industry was going. So I saw this opportunity that was happening with fashion and Instagram, that this natural marriage, it was already happening. We were seeing so much organic traction that there was actually this opportunity for a platform, i.e. Instagram, to disrupt an entire industry. And that was massively interesting to me. I thought of it as like just a creative opportunity, like, holy crap, I can be part of this and that can be, that can be like something that I can help lead. Whoa, sign me up. And you did an amazing job because you actually got Anna Wintour to post her very first photo to Instagram. So, okay, you're basically pitching all the time. Correct. What are your best 
pitch tips <laughs> for somebody who is either pitching a business, yeah. pitching their idea, yeah. pitching a project. What yes. What are your pitch tips? So there's a few. Especially I would when say, you're dealing with a tough person. Yes. I would say <laughs> – Read the room. Sometimes mm. the sometimes it's not the time to to start pitching in the room, right? Like sometimes you're in the room and you're feeling that kind of cold, hard, like, eh, okay, you know what? I'm going to follow up with a really, really tight email with like 25 ideas and we're going to talk on the phone later about them. But maybe this is just an initial get to know you. You really have to learn to read the room. I would say that's number one because the relationship in a pitch situation is like, the most important thing. You're not getting anywhere without building that relationship first, which is why a lot of times these partnerships roles are so confusing to people in tech because they're like, but what's what are you actually doing? And it's like a lot of what you're doing is building a relationship that will bear fruit later. So that's number one. I would say the other thing is like do your homework. Mm -hmm. Know what their priorities are and don't just try to impose your own will or your own needs on them with your pitch because that's just not going to be successful. Like who needs that? That's You have to understand where are they coming from and then you bring your creativity to that. I would say the third thing is like improv really helps, honestly. <laughs> like I actually did take improv years ago. I have like a theater background. Definitely Me wanted too. Da, da, like definitely wanted to be on Broadway at one point in my life. Like, can I sing? Not really, but do you know what I mean? So like We're gonna end the episode <laughs> with a song. <laughs> <laughs> that is my background. And so I I do have a natural inclination to sort of go in the room and like riff perform. Perform, but also just have fun with it. And like there are so many times that I've come up with ideas in the room based on the fact that I'm under pressure and I have to come up with a good idea that have later actually come to fruition. Are you a procrastinator or a planner? I would say absolutely both. Both. It just depends on the situation. So I can be a massive procrastinator because sometimes I'm just not feeling creatively inspired and I need that intense pressure to get inspired. But at the same time, I'm like an obsessive list maker and I have so many different balls in the air at once that I would definitely, no one would refer to me as like not a planner. Right. Yeah, yeah. I think a little bit of each helps in creative life yeah. because you plan too much, it takes away the magic. Yeah, for but sure. But then if you procrastinate too much, you get fired. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. And sometimes I feel like um, fake progress, fake time sensitivity can be helpful. Yeah. So how do you do that? I set a timer and I turn off all my phones. Like I turn off all my phones, all my, you know, all my, electro phones. All my many phones. I've got seven. <laughs> all the electronics in my life, I just turn them off. I sort of, sometimes I have to go to another location if I have to write something. I make sure that I'm not just like, oh, I don't have the day to write something. I'll like give myself an hour or two hours mm. to do it. That's a great tip. Yeah. I definitely, I think of my time in blocks. I also think of, I schedule, I pre-schedule a lot. So I'll put two hours on my schedule every every week to do reading. Now, do I honor that every week? Uh, no. But when I don't, I know about it at least. And mm -hmm. then I'll try to catch up on the weekend. And that's reading about everything under the sun, newsletters, anything industry related. I have a ton of stuff that comes in and I just file it all the way to folder and I go back to it because I personally feel just for me, like that triggers my creativity to see kind of a 10,000 foot view of the landscape that I'm in. I did a little conversation about this. I do something called the creative check-in at the beginning of every cool. episode. Yeah. And I talked about how when I first launched this podcast, I was so committed to the work for the podcast. Like every spare second that wasn't involved in my actual day job yeah. was spent doing this. And then I wasn't taking in anything else in the world. Right. And it's like, how can I really give anyone good advice? Yeah. 
when I'm not getting inspired. Yes. So it's really important. That's a great tip. Make sure you set aside time, even if you have to literally put it in your schedule to yes. get inspired. Yes. And also I, I find that, you know, meeting with people, especially when you're working alone or working mm-hmm. from home or from a remote office is actually really important. Like I, I schedule coffees or breakfasts with friends who I know are going to help me with certain things. I had a coffee with a friend today who, you know, is just every time I meet with him, every time I see him, I just know I'm going to come away from that conversation with something new. And we just riff off each other. And so for that reason, it's not just like breakfast with a friend, which is great, but like I probably wouldn't schedule just breakfast with a friend in the middle of the week. It's got to be a specific type of friend who I know will help jog creativity and vice versa for them. Right. Mutually beneficial Mm -hmm. creatively. Yeah. So we're at Facebook. We do our thing there for five (laughs) years. And then, you know, I know you said the last year you actually started doing consulting. Yes. Was it there or outside? From Facebook. How did you convince them to let you do that? I had a pretty great boss. I have to say, like, I do not think everybody, every boss would have said yes to that. Did you ask? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. And you think you should always ask? You know, I don't know. I don't know. I think sometimes you can, you got to play by ear and figure out what works for you. For me, I was just so terrified of, you know, losing my job. I didn't want to lose my job. And I didn't think that it was worth risking doing that for making a little bit of extra money. Like I, it just wasn't for me because it was really just another opportunity to learn. So I framed it as, look, here's what I'm interested in doing. I'm not getting this from work. I can't work with brands in the context of my day-to-day. Here's how I'm thinking about this. I was just very, very clear about making that ask. And plus, I think, you know, I had been jonesing for this kind of experience for a while and communicating that consistently to her. And so she was like much more understanding, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, Then it had to go to the uh, kind of committee at Facebook. And I guess they vet every outside opportunity. Now, lots of people have these, I guess, and Facebook either approves them or not. And um, they did approve because they just didn't think that the clients that I was bringing were, you know, a conflict until a couple of them ended up being considered a conflict. And that's when I ended up saying, you know what, I think it's time. I think it's time to go. How can you know, you know, when you're in a situation that is seemingly great and that you actually really enjoy? Yeah. How can you know when that creative opportunity has run its course and it's time for you to move on? And how can you get over the fear to actually just go for it? Okay, well, those are two totally separate questions. Well, let's answer them both. (laughs) The first is, in my case, I had stopped learning. Like, Mm. and that was terrifying to me. I just don't think it's okay to stop learning when you're in a job that is as fruitful as the one I was in. You know, I, I really felt like this, there's no excuse for this. I'm at one of the most interesting companies in the world. Why am I not learning? And it scared me. It scared me like to my core. And so I really tried for a long time to just make it work and and to find learning opportunities within the job. And there was no shortage. And, you know, for me, that took probably about a year, a year and a half of being like, okay, I'm going to pursue this. I'm going to pursue this, you know. And, and I was in a nimble enough, you know, environment where I could do that, which was amazing. And so, yeah. And so the second part is the fear, like, the fear of leaving a stable environment 1000% never goes away. Like I still have it day to day. Mm -hmm. I don't know like what freelancer person who's working on their own like does not feel fear. In a sense, it is what keeps me hustling (laughs) to some extent. I mean, I want to say it's all just like, yeah, I get up and like go to the gym (laughs) and then like write in my journal. It's like, no, like a lot of the time it's like, holy shit. 
I have to figure out what I'm going to eat next month and, you know, do that 500 times over. And like, yes, it's it's been amazing. And I've done very well in this first year. And I've, I'm very proud of myself. But at the same time, like, who knows how it's going to go? Anything could happen. So right. fear is a driver. And I don't think that goes away. Right. And I think the other thing to remember is you said anything can happen, but anything could happen anywhere. Yes, exactly. You know, and that's the thing you have to realize is the seeming security of what you currently have really better than never taking a chance on yourself. Oh yeah. I like, I think it really depends on your circumstance and I Mm -hmm. don't think there's a one size fits all. So definitely not. You know, it depends. I think if you are, if you're unmoored, you don't have a family to take care of. If you don't have obligations, you know, ailing parents, like you are in a much better position to be able to make those types of creative leaps than if you have obviously, you know, uh, all of those things to take care of. But at the same time, I do think there is that, you know, illusion of stability a lot of the time, which (laughs) it's like, you're right. Anything can happen. I mean, when I was at Los Angeles Magazine, my salary, which was a, you know, a a stable, quote unquote, stable job. My salary was like cut by, I think it was three quarters. I like got, like, because we were like, quote, furloughed. I can't remember if that was furloughing or whatever it was. It was like, we were expected to come to work five days a week, but we were going to get paid half. And this was because this was essentially instead of firing specific people, they furloughed some of us and they, you know, cut our salaries. And that was because of what was going on with the recession. And this, this was, was in 2008, right? 2008. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And like, I was lucky to still have a job, but this is not stable. Like you can't, like you can't go from paying your rent to paying half your rent. So like, yeah. what? So, I mean, there is a lot of instability all the time. And I think there is, you're right, an illusion of stability with a lot of stuff that just like actually is totally right. unstable. Right. And a lot of times we put the handcuffs on ourselves. Yes. And just recognizing that. If you have kids yes. and a family, that's different. Yep. But like when you're a single person, yep. recognize if you've cuffed yourself. Yes, I think so. <laughs> yes. I, I see a lot of the golden handcuff situation happening. Yeah. So now you are free of any... <laughs> Cuffs, golden or otherwise. <laughs> you have SW Projects. Yes. And tell me a little bit about the work you're doing there. Yes. So when I was at Facebook, I did a ton of work with publishers and with influencers, helping them figure out how to build their brands on the platform. How do you speak authentically to your audience? How do you find your audience? You know, it was great, but it was just with Facebook and Instagram, and it was just with a very narrow group of partners. Now I've expanded that to, you know, I work with a variety of publishers and with brands. What is a publisher exactly? So yeah, so I refer to it as a publisher. I mean, it's, I guess, a little bit of confusing. It's, um, it could be a digital publisher, so like a bustle. Oh, okay. Or it could be a, like I call it a legacy publisher where it's like, it started in print and now it has a robust digital presence. So for example, I just came off doing a, a bunch of work with Playboy. That's a super interesting one. So Playboy is doing a really interesting, they're going through a super, super interesting phase. They are doing a kind of reorientation, let's call it, of their brand where they're, <laughs> I know, I know, I like just, that word. just bear with me, but have you actually seen it? No. I gotta see, I'm going to, can I show this yeah, to you? Please. Do you want me to show it to you now? So I actually have these it's like the photography is incredible. It's it's going like on this like timey ones. No, no, these are new. <gasps> oh, these are new. Yeah, this is like wow. Actually, There's a butterfly in a woman's yes, mouth. Yes. Okay, I just opened it up to the. Okay, there's some major cool shit here, and I honestly want you to like. I don't want to give this to you because I like love these. They're like yeah, yeah. You definitely editions. don't have to give it to but me. But there's some incredible photography. It's it's a it's beautiful female led team. Oh like, my gosh. You would actually. 
find a lot in here. There's some really, really cool stuff. Wow. It's yeah. beautiful. No, it is actually quite beautiful. There's actually some women with some pubic hair, no, too. No, I know. It's kind of shocking. Let's for the girls. <laughs> so, like, there's there's still problems with, you know, Playboy. It's, it's, of course. It's heteronormative, right? But, like, at the same time, there's so much cool shit in here. I did not do anything with the actual print magazine. The stuff that I was helping them with was building out let's call them franchises. So okay. how do you take these legacy franchises from the magazine, like um, the Playboy Advisor, for example, or 20 Questions, which is stuff that's been around forever in Playboy. How do you make that live on digital platforms? How do you reinvent it and really build franchise um, out of it um, in like this era? And so that's the kind of stuff that I was helping them with. So I work with publishers on one side and then I work with a brands on the other side another client I'm working with right now it's hilarious because it's literally the polar opposite of that it's a company called Goldie Blocks the company is a girls toy company and entertainment company they have a huge YouTube presence but they're all about teaching STEM to girls through toys and it's it's incredible the founder is this like incredibly badass woman Debbie Sterling and I'm incredibly inspired by them every single day and I get to help them and the stuff that I help them with is in the case of what I actually did with them, it was around talking to parents. How do we tell our story to parents now and sort of our, our like new look and feel and how do we figure out how to message that in a way that resonates with parents? So it was not only kind of from a content point of view, but also from a brand point of view. I love that. Mm-hmm. I, I would love to just tap you to get some tips for the listeners yeah. on how they can create their own brand. So mm-hmm. I I know you say you talk about story a lot. You talk about really engaging with your audience. How can you find out who your audience is, especially if yeah. you've already been on the platform for a while? Mm-hmm. Like, how can you find out who they are and what they really want? Yeah, I mean, it's such a good question because it's so fundamental to everything. First of all, if you're on, I mean, if you're really dialed into your platform, you know, talking to your audience every single day and and seeing what resonates, you're going to start to see trends. I would say pay attention. Pay attention to those trends. Pay attention to which content resonates. If you post stuff that just doesn't resonate, you're going to know that that's not who your audience is. I would say creating opportunities for them to weigh in. So do you have mini focus groups going? Like think old fashioned. How do you do that? You could do that with DM, right? You could offer them you could offer them free product to tell you what they really think. You could, I mean, there's so many creative ways. If you have a website um, or a newsletter, you could get a few of them together for a Google Hangout. I mean, it depends how big or small your uh, your you know sample is. Yeah. But an audience is an audience, and if you have people who follow you, they actually feel like they have a personal relationship with you and will probably be inclined to tell you what they think, whether it's in exchange for product or in exchange for just something simple like a shout out. So right. I think it's 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 creating your own mm-hmm. version of that, yeah. right? Creating, like figuring out what is the 2019, 2020 version of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say creating content that like if you're suddenly, let's say you decide to post stories and you have interactive features on Instagram and those stories, you're going to start to get responses from your audience that tell you who they are, what they like, what, you know, what, what stuff they're into. And you start to design content around that. You'll start to learn more and more about them. So I'd say getting to know them, uh, you know, there's analytics tools that you can use that um, are super helpful in determining. I would look at your competitive set, what's resonating with them. If you're trying to go after a certain demographic, for example, well, what other content are they consuming? And then take a look at what's resonating with them. So if there's sort of accounts in your space that you think are doing very well. Why? Wait, what? <laughs> that you think are 
are Yes, sure. Why not? And see like, oh, great. This is actually a piece of content that did really well with them. But at the same time, you know, what works for one account, and I'm talking on Instagram, but even beyond that, what works for one brand may not always work for another. So it's not like a one size fits all. Uh, However, you can take certain themes and ideas from them. How often do you think you should actually post? The way I think about it is it's sort of like a grocery store shelf that you want to keep stocked consistently. Mm. So, you know, keeping your stories consistent, I would say if you're not posting every day, you want to be posting every other day. If if you can post daily or at least five times a week on feed, that would be ideal. Ideally, half of those posts should be video, but I do not want to be prescriptive about the video piece because sometimes, you know, you can't produce video because it's too labor intensive or expensive. I would rather you post photos. I would rather you find ways to engage with text than anything else. Like, don't be limited by that. The thing is that these platforms are more and more moving towards being video platforms. So ultimately, not posting video is going to be problematic if you're trying to build a brand. Now, I heard something interesting, and I don't know if it's true. Somebody said if you sponsor a post, then your next post is less likely to be seen. Is there any truth to that? Not that I know of. Okay. There's a lot of misinformation that goes out there, especially around sort of Instagram algorithm, which in itself is a misnomer because actually Instagram has a ranked feed, not an algorithm. Facebook has an algorithm. Could you explain that? Sure. So on Facebook, like you actually don't see... Your, your, sorry, your viewers, your your followers do not see every single piece of content you post. It just does not go out to them um, because there's an algorithm. The algorithm surfaces specific content based on what it thinks um, your users will find useful, interesting, valuable, and based on a lot of different factors, which are like a state secret. Um, <laughs> the difference between that and Instagram, and which has a ranked feed, is that technically everything gets seen. Everything gets put in there into the feed. It's just that there's so much of it that it's ranked in a way that Instagram thinks that you're going to engage with it uh, and be more meaningful to you. Does that make sense? So everything still shows up in Instagram, but to a user, it feels like it doesn't because there's just so much of it. But it's it's just a reality. Interesting. mm -hmm. How can we overcome that reality? I mean, I think if you, there's no, again, there's no, there's no silver bullet. No, there absolutely is not creating authentic content and connecting with your fans. But that's just like the most general advice. It's going to totally depend on your specific strategy. And then where else should we be focusing? Because there's so much attention on Instagram. It's like Instagram centric world right now, I feel. Yeah. Where else should we be focusing our energy? Because we were in contact when Instagram exploded for a couple days or like a day. My Instagram got taken down accidentally for the show. Did it? It, it's it got totally fine now. Yeah. It got, yeah, I had to take that weird picture with the serial code and mm-hmm. everything, um, but it was fine. But it really made me think. Like I focused so much energy into that and growing that and mm-hmm. putting my focus there that I've kind of neglected these other communities. And I'm wondering where you see, <sighs> yeah, the other places. Like where are the other places that are important to be? It totally depends on who you are, who you're trying to reach as mm-hmm. a brand. Right now, the big social platforms are still still it, right? right. Like if you're the trying three. to reach teens, Snap is still the place to really? be. Yeah, to some extent, yeah. Wow. Absolutely. Um, I think they've they've maintained that in a really interesting way because I think, you know, our, like where we are, it's like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. Like still? But yeah. And I honestly think there's a ton of different platforms coming up, mostly from China, honestly. Like if you've been looking at TikTok, um, you know, some brands are getting in on the action there. It really just depends on like who you're trying to reach. But 
you know, a lot of times people approach me, oh my gosh, should I, should I build a profile on XYZ? Should I do this? And, you know, my answer is, it really just depends on how much bandwidth you have. I think that ultimately there's there's so many different social platforms and you it all comes back to audience. Like if you mm-hmm. really feel that your audience is there, there's this crazy robust audience there and you're seeing that. Like let's say you are trying to launch a book club and there's like a really incredible, incredibly engaged book club app or a place where you know people who are interested in book clubs congregate. Like go there. I would say that don't try to be all things to all people though and don't try to be everywhere. Like Mm -hmm. if you are one small brand or you're like a small team, focus where you know your audience is and really double down there. And that's where I think that audience research is essential to figuring that out. Oftentimes like I will talk to someone, they'll say, okay, well, I want to launch a newsletter or I want to launch X. It's like, okay, but what's your audience? Is that where your audience is? You want to hit, you know, parents, millennial parents. Is that where they are? I don't know. To me, they're on Facebook groups or they're in private text chat. So how are you reaching them? And I like to look at a total picture where an audience is, not just social. So Mm. if you're trying to reach parents, like, where are they? What are they doing? They're on, you know, babysitting apps. They're on um, Amazon. They're on Target. They're texting each other. Like, let's look at their total time picture and where a social network where you might be fits into that. And then how are they getting that information? Are they getting it through influencers, like parenting tips or food tips for kids? Well, where, which ones? And how are you going to engage with those people? So I always like to look at it as like a total time picture rather than like, which social platforms just. Yeah. Great advice. Now, okay. One question with the hashtags. <laughs> I did like a hashtag symbol when I asked the question. You fully FYI. did. Yes. <laughs> Sign language for hashtag. I've heard a lot about shadow banning. Mm-hmm. Is this a real thing? And how do we avoid it if so? Don't have a definitive yes or no on shadow banning. I don't know. Like, I don't believe it's true. I, I don't know anything about it though. So I, I don't feel equipped to tell you about it. I do know that putting a million hashtags is like never should have been a thing, mm-hmm. isn't a thing, don't make it a thing. The only time hashtags I do feel are really valuable is when they tap into a certain, let's say, inside joke or inside thing within a community. Mm. And they make you seem like you're in on the thing versus 100,000 hashtags at the end of a post that make you seem just like a douche. Like, don't do it. Like, I'm not – I don't see – it's not going to help you build your audience. It's it's really not something that um, is going to help you build a community, which is what's going to really drive your popularity and your growth long term. Think about hashtags as a, you know – as something that are specific to a community, think about making your own and owning that. Now that people can follow mm. hashtags, that's a hugely important tool to building, but not just like a general one, like hashtag food. Like what? <laughs> I do follow a couple. Of, I, I follow hashtag donkeys. because You follow hashtag donkeys. Why? Because they're my favorite animal. That's they're cute. They're the okay. sweetest, kindest animal. And wow. I love seeing videos of them. I follow hashtag Detroit. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So you know what? Okay, you you may be like totally putting me to shame in terms of I what mean, I just not, said. Though. I mean, I okay. Here's what I do: I hashtag in the comment section because I do find that mm-hmm. my engagement goes up when mm-hmm. I do that. Right? Okay. Yeah. So look, if you're finding that for you, I would never say stop. Okay. I am giving advice that I have seen. It does look a little hacky, though. <laughs> it looks a little and hacky. People look at me; and they're probably like, "This bitch." <laughs> 
But like, I would always say, listen to your audience and what works for you if that's what's working for you. Right. Um, but I typically don't advise people putting like heaps of hashtags. Heaps of hashtags. I feel like that's another shirt. HTTPS <laughs> <laughs> and heaps oh of hashtags. God, yes. Print it, baby. So you mentioned a newsletter. Yes. Yes. You have one yourself. I am subscribed. I am a fan. Oh my gosh, yay. Tell the people what they can expect. Oh my gosh, of course. So I launched this newsletter because my job in terms of what I do now, like my number one job is to maintain category expertise, let's call it. Like otherwise, why are people hiring me? Like what mm -hmm. value do I bring? I need to be the expert. They're really busy running their business, their brand, whatever. When, when I think about what my role is, I need to keep that sharp. I need to keep honing it. And I also need to test it. And by testing it, I can shape it. So when I say test it, that means sending ideas out into the ether and seeing what comes back. Like when I do a newsletter, it forces me to put my ideas down on paper, make them really concise and send them out. And then I get feedback and that helps me hone them even more. The way that I um, developed the idea for the newsletter, I'll tell you a little bit about it. You know already, it's called the short of it. <laughs> and basically it takes one digital trend or product or idea or moment, um, tells you what it is, tells you why you should care and how you can kind of enlist it to grow your business. Um, it's so actionable and it's so helpful. It's one of those newsletters. First of all, you only send it out every two weeks. So it's not like she's spamming you in <laughs> any way. Second of all, it's always got a tool, oh, which good. is like, that's really yeah. what any content should be. Give yeah. someone a tool. Just tell me how to do yeah. it. Yeah. We're also confused. Totally. Clearly. Shadow banning. <laughs> <laughs> so you have this amazing, what do you even yeah. call it? What is G&T? So yeah. I mentioned earlier that I have all these like little file folders and fun little things on the side. So G&T is one of them. G&T stands for give and take, which is from the Adam Grant book of the same name. The concept being that, you know, you get a lot from giving to other people um, as opposed to just taking and that it is a constant give and take. That's like a basic summary, but <laughs> essentially that's what it is. And uh, I was actually just would have these dinners with a bunch of girls, uh, girlfriends of mine, and mostly in media, tech, entertainment. And we realized we were helping each other a lot. It's about six of us. And after a few months, we were like, you know what? It would be really, really cool if we could extend this kind of helping hand that we give each other to a broader group of women. And this was honestly just a conversation. And like a couple months later, we had our first G&T event. We literally just named it, <laughs> got my friend to host it at her store, got a couple sponsors from friends, companies like from wine and whatnot, and invited probably like 40 to 50 women who showed up. And the premise, which is not something we came up with, but that has been done, you know, it's they're, they're getting more and more popular, is somebody gets up at the front of the room and says, you know, here is my 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 ask, my uh, take, and here is my give. And, and it could be anything from a personal thing to a professional thing. It really doesn't matter. Oftentimes it's professional. And so it's people looking for new opportunities or looking for a co-founder or looking for a CMO or whatever it might be. But sometimes it's not. I think when I was single, I got up there and asked like, can someone set me up? Like I'm single, <laughs> blah, blah. And someone did. Like it was actually just fabulous. And I think it's about making yourself vulnerable in front of a large group of people 
you know, oftentimes women aren't very good at doing that in front of other people, in front of other women, and allowing yourself to sort of see what comes. Mm-hmm. We also started a Facebook group um, in order to facilitate those connections after. We just had an event a few months, uh, maybe a month ago, or, or I think it was our fifth event now. So it's been going on for about a year and a half. And uh, and the Facebook group is robust. It has become a place where people exchange um, information and opportunities. And so to me, like, that's you know, a fantastic thing that we've created. And honestly, who knows where it'll go, if anywhere. Like, I am just so happy that we've been able to bring um, women together in this really cool way. I think there should be pop-ups all across the nation. Yeah, because anyone, it's like yeah. really networking events are so often awkward and a waste of time because you only get to talk to like totally. one or two people and you don't really get to know anyone in the yeah. room and then you don't feel comfortable fully saying what you need. You yeah. created such a beautiful opportunity because we got to show what we're strong at yeah. and where we need help. Yes. So, I'm so, so glad. No, it was wonderful. I mean, I went to it and I highly recommend if you ever get the invitation. Yes. Well, go. the way you can is actually you can join the Facebook group. I believe that we are an open Facebook group. I should know this. Like it's not a secret. <laughs> Facebook group. Um, and so if you search G and T and just request to join, so it's the letter G and ampersand T, mm-hmm. that's a good way to get involved. And, you know, the other big piece of this is that we really wanted to include a giving back element. Like the Downtown Women's Center has been um, a consistent kind of beneficiary, I guess. We always ask for a donation. We hope to get them more involved. Um, our hope is that we can partner with them in like a bigger way because to me, it's it's not only helpful to provide opportunities to women who are just like us. Like we want to provide opportunities to women who don't have all of the amazing opportunities that we have. Um, That's kind of a huge part of the point. And I did want to ask you because the first thing I said when I walked in here is like, you're just so awesome. You're so kind. You're so generous of spirit. The minute I met you, I was like, I need to know this person on a deeper level because not many people walk into a room and just instantly make you feel comfortable and seen. And you have that ability. And I thank you for that. That is, I'm so flattered. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's true. That's how you are in the world. So thank you for being that way. And I really try to be that way as well. And it's difficult in this industry to be that open hearted because sometimes it does wound you. But I'm wondering in what way has your kindness and your warmth been your superpower? And what's your advice for others out there trying to live life that way as well? Wow. Okay. Well, first of all, thank you. I think I think every single opportunity that I have had in my life has come as a result of a relationship. And that relationship has been sort of actively or passively cultivated by being open. And I think, you know, part of what I put my time and energy into a big part of it is cultivating relationships wherever those may spring up. I'm not in a position to be friends with everybody just because I don't have the bandwidth who does, but I can walk through the world with like an open sort of heart and open mind, keep my eyes open and up anywhere I go. Um, and so that I'm taking in potential for relate new relationships. Honestly, it could be with anybody. And those relationships may come anywhere. It could be at the grocery store, anywhere. You know, I'm also really good at follow-ups. And I think you even are. when you, <laughs> I think like even when you, uh, you would pinged me asking, oh my gosh, how do I deal with this Instagram problem? Like, I was in the middle of 65 things. Like, I guess I could have just been like, I'm so sorry. I don't know. But like, first of all, I felt really bad for you because I've, I, you know, I've been there. Everybody's been there. And I wanted to try to help. But then more than that, I just really respect what you do. And so 
I think I knew that on some level, like, I'll help you. And then, like, maybe we'll do some cool shit. I don't know. Like, was it conscious? No. But it was like, I want to bring good people into and my life. And you responded in, like, two minutes, <laughs> which is like, God. Well, what? I also like, no know. one's like that. Well, I also know that if I do not respond to text messages, they yeah. disappear into the, like, hello. That's actually a great tip I heard once from this guy, David Allen. Yeah. He's got a great book called Getting Things Done. Yeah. And he said, if you can do anything in under two minutes, do it. Mm-hmm. Just yes. get it done. Absolutely. Get it out of your brain. Absolutely. I find that if I don't do that, it just disappears. I, I, I really do feel that way, that, like, if you try to help good people, good things will come to you. And and maybe they won't come to you and that's okay. And and maybe they'll come to you in a year or five years, whatever. But because of that, I've cultivated this incredible group of people around me. A lot of them happen to be women, but not all, who are just incredible. And so because of that, I was able to leave Facebook, I think, and keep a steady stream of opportunity coming. Um, but that is a that is a garden that needs to be constantly tended. It's important, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you have to keep checking in with yourself, especially when mm-hmm. you're working in a fast-paced industry or you're living in yeah. a fast-paced city. Yeah. Like, am I saying true to who I am? Yeah. To the little girl yes, inside? Totally. Which brings me to my final question. <laughs> yes, yes. So I feel like creativity is intricately connected to the inner child. Mm-hmm. And I like to think about her a lot and make sure I'm doing right by her. Mm-hmm. And so when you're thinking about little Sarah, yeah. if she was standing in front of you, you're this amazing entrepreneur. You're this kind-hearted woman. You've got this badass resume. <laughs> and you are just wonderful. And she's looking at you. What do you think she would say to you and why? I think she would be, honestly, I think she would be so in awe <laughs> because I do think I'm living a version of what she would have felt to be an amazing, amazing life. So in that sense, I I do have to remind myself of that because I think you can sort of go down a road of like, oh my gosh, I don't have this or I need to do this or I'm tired or whatever. But it's like the big picture is like, holy shit, like this life that I've built is really beautiful and amazing. Um, I was reading the other day, I went home to Toronto and my mom pulled out a bunch of cards that I used to write. I used to write cards for my mom and my dad for everything, for Mother's Day, for birthdays, like intricate cards and they'd be designed. I used to make make them all. And they were so, like they had my voice all over them. And I was reading them and just like remembering who I was. And it is actually so similar to who I am today. It's like not you that different. It. Totally. <laughs> and that through line is so clear and so exists. And I'm I'm so, so grateful for that. And same scenario. You're mm-hmm. still standing in front of each other. What would you say to her? And oh why? my gosh, I would say it is gonna be okay. Like, don't just just go enjoy it and don't stress. Like you're going to be fine and just go take it in and don't obsess and don't, you know, just don't get caught up in the details. It's going to be okay. Thank you for listening and to my guest, Sarah Wilson. For more info on Sarah, follow her on Instagram at Sarah Wilson and her company at SW Projects. You can also subscribe to her newsletter and visit her website at swprojects.co. That's dot co. Thanks to Liz Full for composing this show's original music. Follow her at Liz Full. Thanks to Juliette Weber for your creative help. Follow her at Bonjour Juliette. And thank you for another beautiful creative week. If you like the show, please give it a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And be sure to tell a friend about it. 
text it to them, post about it, send smoke signals, whatever it takes to build the creative community and just put more great, positive, happy people out into the world by making them more creative. You can follow the show at Unleash Your Inner Creative and at You Are Inner Creative on Twitter. Join the Facebook group by searching Unleash Creative Community and find me at Lauren LaGrasso everywhere. My biggest takeaway from Sarah is that if your dream job doesn't exist, you can create it. My wish for you this week is that you see your own goodness and reflect others' goodness back to them. You're strong, brave, vulnerable, and creative. I'm so proud of you. And I believe in you. Go after the biggest dream you can think of. You deserve it. And you never know whose life you'll make better by going after it. Talk next week.